Hey, AJ. Yeah. What if I told you that there is a cheat code for urban planning and design? And if you get this one thing right, you win the game. If you get this one thing right, you make cities and towns wonderful places to be for everyone. Well, I would say that we need to share that with as many people as possible. I'm Jordan. And I'm AJ. You're listening to We Built It That Way, a show about how we shape the places we live and how they shape us, our behaviors, our relationships, our opportunities, and our imagination. Well, I have discovered a cheat code, and it is, are you ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. Older adults. Yep. Older adults. If you design places well for for seniors... If you design and plan your cities and your towns to accommodate the needs uh, and the desires of older adults, you're going to design a city that works well for everybody. 100% agree. That is the (laughs) cheat code. That's the cheat code. So let's talk about it. Okay. So yeah, like we said, today we're going to spend an episode talking about older adults in our population and what it would mean to have a world that caters to the needs of older adults, um, is comfortable to get around, and whether or not our current society, our, our cities and towns, are really set up to to let people age with dignity and safety and comfort. Spoiler alert, they're not mm, at all. They're not. So let's get that out of the way. They're not. And, and we're going to talk about, as we always do, what the kind of behavioral impacts of our design decisions So this will touch on the impact on our senior population, but it's really, as we will see, going to touch all of society. So why do we need to talk about this? Well, I think it would be surprising to some to learn that as of 2010, which that's been some time, right? At that point in time, that's when we had the kind of introduction of this term that was called the silver tsunami, right? Where the baby boomers essentially hit that 65 and older threshold. And at that time, there were 40 million people just in our country that fell within those parameters. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen, you know, countries such as Japan, for example, who has the largest population of seniors in the world and how they've had to make decisions and design their cities based on this. And then you also have to think about the complicating factors of what it means to be over 65 in our world right now with different types of mobility challenges, health challenges. You know, over 5 million Americans have Alzheimer's, for example. You know, there are some startling uh, statistics out there about things that altogether make life exceedingly difficult for people in that age group. And then that's before they walk out the door into the cities that we've built and Mm. are faced with all of those challenges even. Yep. So AJ, I was was reading some stats and learned that I think it's by 2030, the 65 and over population is expected to be a quarter of the U.S. population and by 2034 to be larger than the 18 and under population, which is Mm -hmm. pretty staggering. And when we talk about, uh, you know, seniors and aging population, there is a wider divergence in 
like physical ability and needs than probably at any other age demographic. So when we're talking about designing age-friendly cities, we're also really talking about designing physical ability-friendly cities. And, and these are things that would apply to people at any age. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, there's a um, a table um, and a series of graphics that I found in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health that's a mouthful. <laughs> but needless to say, they were talking about age-friendly cities, and they had some different diagrams that showed like what, what is an age-friendly city? Let's define it. What are the characteristics of it? I'm going to read some of those off to you, and I want you to tell me what you think about them. So here's a few of them. Uh, community support and health services. Clear communication and information. Respect and social inclusion. Civic participation and employment, outdoor space, transportation, and housing. Hmm. Kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, I've, it's funny because those just really apply to everybody. They do. I'm glad that you introduced those topics because it, it gets out sort of like a holistic, what is a healthy life as society shapes it for, for older adults. And why don't we just get into some of the currently existing barriers to those, and I know that they will overlap. So, mm -hmm. what is one of the, what is a couple of the biggest ones in your mind? So, I think there is um, number one an issue of of just mobility in in terms of the built environment, you know, and then I think another issue is this need to address how you retrofit uh, existing spaces mm -hmm. into ones that work for the aging population as well as other subpopulations. Mm -hmm. How about you? What stood out to me when I was thinking this through is like, if I could distill it to a few basic things, it's like physical safety and comfort, social mm -hmm. and mental health and well-being, whether you're connected and involved or isolated. And then also just ability to afford the things that you need because we have a really high, high levels of poverty and it's particularly bad to be in poverty and quite old. I think, too, I would add to what you were saying about kind of mental, I would add also the perception of, of this population, kind of the attitudes yeah. towards them. I think that that falls in there as well. Yeah. I think that, you know, number one, we've already kind of stumbled onto this great truth, right, which is that by trying to be inclusive in our city planning, we are bettering the situations on the ground for everyone within the city. Mm -hmm. So that seems like a non-issue, right? Like that that's something that we could all agree upon. And yet we still do such a poor job of making these decisions. And also you, you pointed out kind of the future and where we're moving um, and what we're expecting to see. And these are all things that, of course, are based on data. And yet as people that pride themselves as specializing in long-term planning, mm -hmm. we are not having these conversations. Yeah. So I think that's one of the the big takeaways from the very beginning that we can we can mention. I think there's also this this role that it plays in terms of equality. You know, there's a lot of discussion mm -hmm. these days in city planning and other disciplines 
about the importance of, of equality and diversity and inclusion and making sure that we're, you know, uh, representing everyone, that we're taking their voices and, and incorporating those. But you don't often hear people talking about this subpopulation mm-hmm. in the same context. Yeah. Let's start to isolate some of these things and, and get a little bit more specifics on on what we're talking about. Maybe if we can talk about when you leave out your front door, what are some of the barriers? Maybe we could talk about both public spaces and transportation here. I have to admit, um, having been in the planning world for almost 20 years now, I I look at this much more differently in the last three or four years than I ever did at any other point mm. due to supporting and really needing to help out my parents and seeing the mm-hmm. issues that they encountered. And it really opened my eyes. And I really think that that planners should utilize some of the people in their community in this age group to mm-hmm. learn from them. Yeah. So some of the ones that, that I've encountered with them that are things that I didn't think about before, um, for example, is the distance between street furniture so yeah. you have to think about, you know, the difference in walking pace and, and mm-hmm. having a place to sit and rest um, and the comfort level when you're sitting and resting. Unfortunately, there's a lot of places that don't even utilize street furniture. And then another one is wheelchair ramps. Um, it's really difficult when you're pushing someone in a wheelchair or they're trying to independently move through the built environment. Um, just those two basic things, I think. Mm. Are, are two big ones. And then, of course, there's the comfort issues, which kind of pick up from where we left off in the last episode where we were talking about shade. So yeah. those are just a couple. What about you? Well, you know, when you were talking about how the space between things like street furniture can feel greater if your pace of movement is slower, I actually saw some statistics on how fast people walk at different mm-hmm. ages. And like a working adult may walk maybe a little less than uh, five miles per hour. Is it miles per hour, kilometers per hour? I don't know. Kilometers per hour. Kilometers per hour. (laughs) I guess five miles per hour is kind of fast. And that an older adult, I think it's over 80. The speed is something like closer to two kilometers Mm -hmm. per hour. So the point is not to focus on the exact numbers, but like if your speed is about 40% of the working adult speed, then the street is that much further to cross. And what it made me think of is when we talked in our shade episode about how not having shade sort of makes distances seem further. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a similar sort of warping of space as people age and slow down. And so I think that's obviously what makes proximity, which is already important for healthy, connected lives and supporting neighborhood retail and so on. That makes it even more important for for our older populations. It does. And that also translates to time, right? The the timing of something that's intended to protect me while I'm crossing the street yeah. may, be wor- you know, may work out great for me, mm-hmm. but for someone that it's going to take longer to cross that intersection, yeah. that's another, another issue. So that's like a, I think it's an important point to talk about how, how long we, we give for people to cross the street. But then there's also just this, physical nature of is it many steps to cross the street well that's also that's also a a pretty big barrier even if you do start giving longer on a on a timed crossing right that's pretty intimidating i was walking around my i'm I'm visiting my parents right now walking around their neighborhood and they live on this kind of boulevard situation and i counted it took me 34 steps 
to cross their street. It's also designed for cars to kind of barrel down pretty fast. And it's, you know, I don't know, 15 seconds or, or so for me to cross. Well, by the time you've started crossing an empty street, it may not be empty at that point once you're once you're crossing. I just, we, we design really wide streets is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely a priority issue. Yeah. This episode of We Built It That Way is brought to you by Elderly, the company that's disrupting elder care. Have you ever asked yourself, what if there was an app for elder care? Have you ever spent time with an elderly loved one and thought, there's got to be a better way? We have. And that's why we started Elderly. It actually all began with a domain name. Elder.ly. We knew we couldn't pass up an opportunity like that. We've been called the Uber of elder care and the Lyft of elder care. And we are currently asking that we no longer be referred to as the WeWork of elder care. At Elderly, we know that elder care is messy. That's why we designed our app to be clean, minimalist, and timeless. All the vibes. At Elderly, we're always evolving and innovating, and that comes down to our products. For example, we are constantly looking for services or value adds that might make our app serve some kind of function beyond its beautiful simplicity. If you have ideas, email us. Seriously. Elderly, the next generation of looking after the last generation. Find out more at elder.ly. Elderly. Now there's an app for elder care. Additional elements that I think about are how smooth are the sidewalks and wide are the sidewalks. Um, Are there bike paths to allow people who still like to ride their bike Mm -hmm. to do so safely? And it's not just the kind of spandex wearing people you think of as cyclists. Um, On that point, I've been watching a lot of videos on Dutch infrastructure, especially like cycling and pedestrian infrastructure. And they have a really robust and comfortable network for people on bicycles, but they also happen to serve really well for older people and people with mobility issues who ride these kind of like motorized vehicles that go pretty slow, but can Mm -hmm. work really well in the bike lane. So even just like things that we think about as being infrastructure for bicyclists, it's not just infrastructure for bicyclists, it's, it's creating a safer way for everybody to get around. Well, and and to add to your point, other things that came to mind while you were talking about transportation is even, and just mobility in general, mm-hmm. is even things about not necessarily the infrastructure, but the environment built around it. So signage mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, having clearly marked locations and, and entrances and exits, um, yeah. having that kind of wayfinding signage that makes it very clear what's around you and how you can get there. How fast of a walk is it? Is mm-hmm. it, you know, I think for a lot of people in this age group, it's important for them to understand kind of where they're going and have a, a, a good expectation of, mm. is it something I can comfortably do? And and I think that helps build confidence when they have some information, some background on that. And then there's also the way that we design our buildings yeah. on the street side. You know, this, <laughs> this isn't the podcast episode to get into it, but you know, when we talk about this generic type of art architecture that we're mm-hmm. seeing more and more in our communities, I mean, how much more confusing can we make it 
for someone to leave their home on foot or, or on bike when mm-hmm. everything looks the same. Yeah. And, and so those are some other, I think, more indirect things that also impact the mobility of, of people in this group that we're talking about. Yeah, I think we could fill a couple episodes just by talking about the indirect impacts of our infrastructure design on older people, on people in general. But the confidence thing that you talked about, I think is so critical because we might have like stats that we can measure like fatalities of people on foot, which by the way, um, older people make up a disproportionate number of pedestrian deaths by cars. But it's you know harder to capture stats on people who just have such a low level of confidence in the world around them, the physical world around them, that they just say, well, it's safer for me to stay in. I don't feel comfortable crossing that street, so it's better if I just don't. And you end up with people who uh, are well, one in five older adults are socially isolated, very high numbers of total shut-ins. And you have to put at least some blame on the physical environment around them for that. I think transportation is one of the, like, we can highlight so many things related to transport, like moving from A to B that can create physical hazards and confidence issues for older adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's a bit hypocritical for us to talk about how much we value this population and that we mm-hmm. want to take care of them mm-hmm. when we are also simultaneously building cities in a way that essentially encourages them to stay home and never leave. Yeah. I mean, we build ageist cities. We may not really think that's what we're doing, but it doesn't really change the outcomes. Um. You want to just get a little bit more specific about what we mean by that, like in particular how a car-dominated infrastructure puts a burden on all of us, but a particularly undue burden on older adults. Yeah, it's definitely that disproportionate impact kind of idea that we're seeing emerge in, in other areas of, of planning, but that we also need to apply to this group. So inequalities generally continue to get worse as you age. Mm. You know, this was something that uh, there's a, a city lab article that we'll reference in the show notes that I read. And I thought it was a great point they made that inclusivity of this group also means we need to create a narrative that doesn't single them out. And mm-hmm. so I think that ties into what yes. you were just saying about, you know, the, the separatist nature that we treat some of these issues with at times. I totally agree. And before I talk about some specific uh, transportation issues with regards to older adults, I want to just mention that places that are fit for older adults to thrive and be autonomous are also places that are wonderful, safe, comfortable places for children and everybody in between. You know how I'm sure many people have heard those anecdotes of design of this or that like kitchen utensil or whatever, and they were designed for people with arthritis. And well, what do you know, designing things for people who have arthritis sometimes turn out to be more comfortable for everybody to use in their better product. Well, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with, with city design. And if you think about, I looked up stats on this a little bit earlier today. There's about 100 million people in the United States who don't have a driver's license. So that means your participation in society if it's a, you know, largely built around the car is really curtailed. You either have to wait for buses that are kind of infrequent because it's not really built around the bus or the train in most places. You have to rely on family members or friends. And that's, that really erodes dignity 
in addition to also being kind of an unsafe and very time consuming and expensive reality. And that also, you know, goes back to contributing to social isolation. Seniors who don't have a car are twice as likely to be experiencing social isolation as those who do have a car or can still drive. So we've scratched the surface on public spaces and transportation, getting around the places that we live. But why don't we talk about neighborhoods and housing and how some of our current decisions may not be really setting us up for for rich, full, connected social lives. Yeah. I think when you're thinking about, you know, what we would typically call quote unquote senior housing, there's there's really kind of two approaches that people mm. tend to fall into one or the other. And one is kind of integrating them into existing areas. And the other is this notion of building areas that are just for them. Yeah. Looking back on the different projects I've worked on, typically it's it's the latter. And I think perhaps there was some good intention that went into this idea of, of making an area special for kind of aging in place. But unfortunately, the the isolating factor of that is something that we touched on a little bit in the last segment. We're seeing more and more of healthcare professionals and people that do studies and write on such things really focusing on these issues of isolation, depression, what they're calling hidden seniors or silent seniors. Mm-hmm. And so this notion of, of kind of creating a place where we put everyone from that group together doesn't necessarily hold water for me. Mm-hmm. I know kind of talking to some some people that have gone through this with their parents, they've they've learned that their parents actually really longed for more than anything feeling like part of a community. And I think while there is more of an artificial community that's formed by mm-hmm. way of of putting everyone together in a village or a home or separate space, this notion of of being able to adapt our existing neighborhoods where they really feel integrated with people from different age groups and get to know families. And uh, I think that's a very fundamentally different kind of approach to housing. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're thinking about looking at existing neighborhoods, obviously the the big one that comes to mind because there's been so much written about it is this issue of, you know, making it easier for homeowners to add a granny flat or an accessory dwelling unit to their existing um, home so that people can continue to, you know, either stay in their own home and have some secondary income or, mm-hmm. you know, a grandparent perhaps can join the family and, and be in the same location. So that's one, but that's not necessarily the only thing. Uh, I think we tend to lump everyone into this category of being wholly dependent on someone else. Yeah. And we have yeah, to yeah. realize that there's there's certainly a presence of that, but there are likewise presences and evidence of people in this age group that are still functioning very independently and want to continue to. Their comfort level just is having proximity to you know goods and services and and people and and social experiences. This is a bigger problem of of society. It's not just like maybe we should rethink senior housing. To me, this is a reflection of the bigger problem of separating everything out. It's sort of like the problem of the 20th century was this prevailing idea that we used in a lot of different fields of thinking that we can isolate all the components of 
whatever it is of life and then separate them out in their own separate shoe boxes and everything would work uh, even better and more efficiently. And it, I don't know, it just feels like we're, we're doing cheap imitations of community. It gives me sort of like, oh, well, we got to deal with the older population problem. Uh, okay, well, let's maybe if we just put them all in the same boat, maybe that'll be good. And it sort of ignores all, it flattens all these issues of like, what is community? Community is being around your loved ones of all different ages and interacting. And there's an ecology there that we really ignore when we think that we can isolate demographics. And mm-hmm. yep, I agree. And you know, I've seen some some interesting articles done, particularly in in Europe. Um, uh-huh. Sweden, I think, was one in particular where they actually paired up the kind of nursing home idea where people really need that medical attention on site at yeah. all times mm-hmm. with preschoolers, and those types of organizations are on the same site and -hmm. work together and it provides enjoyment for both age groups, which I think is a really interesting idea, but I think it's, you know, it's not relegated to just those two, two groups, really the, the experience, you know, it's a human experience and there are a lot of commonalities, I think, between what we might prefer when I say we, like my age group, for Mm -hmm. example, what we might prefer as compared to what a senior group might prefer. And so we don't really provide a kind of housing solution that has taken the time to to dig into what those things are and then make those requirements. Cities also have not done this with policy. So, you know, and, and we, you know, people jump to the conclusion of, Oh, that means things like really wide doorways. And that means things like having grab bars in the the bathroom. And yes, those things are also very important for this age group. Mm -hmm. But I think it's even more than that. Like, Let's not relegate it to just those things. Yeah. It's also about the connectivity. It's also about the presence within a greater neighborhood and knowing what a neighborhood feels like, yeah. should feel like. Yeah. And so I think for, you know, the building community who is arguably putting out products that they're saying meet the need of the target population who's really buying a lot of mm-hmm. these products. I think they're fooling themselves uh, a bit because I I don't necessarily think that that's the only group of people that collectively are large in numbers and are mm. interested in housing solutions. They're just the only people being asked. Yeah, and I think I think that's problematic. If someone took the time to kind of understand this, I think they'd find that not only would this group of the population be interested in purchasing those housing products, Mm -hmm. but so would everyone else. For all the reasons that we've already touched on with the building environment, I think homes and and layouts of homes and proximity to goods and services is something that we really all share across all age groups. about old people. We all know the challenges they present. They, they're messy. They ha- they're needy. They talk at length about who knows what. None of us understand them. And I think it'd be better for a lot of us if we could come up with some kind of solution where 
many of us don't see our older relatives that often. Some kind of a, I don't know, anyone have any ideas? Oh, I know, I know. So what you do is we, we just make sure that things outside their front doors are dangerous enough that they're afraid to leave their house. That way they're all confined and we don't have to worry about them. What if we kind of corralled, so to speak, all of them, just round them all up, put them in the same spot? Like a farmer does with a sheepdog. That Absolutely. is brilliant. We have our most unfortunate souls in the community responsible for the, the dirty work. <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about, okay? It's somewhere that's kind of hard for us to get to, hard for them to get out of. For Pete's sake, I mean, hello. <laughs> Cars whizzing around, they can't drive. All right, excellent. So these sound like great suggestions. So the key to old people, make it hard to get to them, make it hard for them to get out, stick them all together as much as possible, and let someone else handle the problem. Yes, great. and play, play on their confusion. Old people get confused a lot. They have a hard time figuring out directions. We can play to that. We can make signs confusing. We can make the architecture all look the same. There's lots of stuff we can do to just disorient the bleep out of them. You know what? And you're right. And because they're so cynical about government anyway, they're not going to complain. It's, it's brilliant. If they do, somebody will think they're just making up stories again. Well, let's close that item. I think we've got some actionable steps to move forward with. And next, we're going to turn our attention to cyclists. <laughs> I've seen this figure come up a lot. It's something like 90% of people over 65 say that they would like to age in their own homes. And the, I mean, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. That's an important data point, but it, why we're highlighting it is because we don't necessarily have a housing stock and a built environment that is conducive to that being the case for a lot of people. Yeah, We've been kind of beating around the bush, but what are some of the specifics that if we built it in such a way that was really thoughtful, what what would that look mm-hmm. like? I think number one, it would be compact. Uh-huh. Um, it wouldn't be spread out. And I mean that in terms of, you know, how the land uses are organized, how the streets are built, compact and, and the ability to have a short distance to where you're trying to go is, is an important one. Hmm. And likewise, that only works if the area is you know, friendly for walking and biking and and other modes of transportation. You brought up the kind of motorized um, scooters, for lack of a better, I don't know if that's the proper term or not, but that's a great point I hadn't thought of. So, you know, it's really a very inclusive way of of building the built environment. You know, another thing is we, we talked earlier about kind of subconscious cues like design and signage Mm -hmm having some wayfinding points, those things are are very critical. And, you know, we talk a lot about commercial buildings in terms of encouraging people to build commercial Mm -hmm. buildings that can be transformed into many different kinds of uses. Yeah, I think that same kind of spirit would be seen in an, an area like this where the housing could be converted and reconfigured in many different ways and the policies of that place would support it. So that's totally. maybe a few things that come to mind for me. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. I was thinking about the same thing when I was putting down some notes for this. Like we could do a lot better job of making housing intentionally flexible and adaptable mm-hmm. and thinking about ways to rearrange the space within that home 
or you know apartments that have smaller units next to larger units so that a family could live next to an older uh, relative. I was thinking about the social interaction of being still within your home space, but interacting with the, the space around you. So it's one thing to be able to go outside and walk around, which I'll talk about in a second. But, you know, what if there were spaces? I, th- I saw this in some article about bringing sort of the lounge area of the home and facing it so that it interacts with the street so mm-hmm. that you're in this kind of constant dialogue should you want it with the street life going on, right? provided that there's an active, lively street. Which brings me to my other point of when I look for a place to live, I think of the surroundings as an extension of my home. And if your immediate surroundings are, I don't know, six lane arterial, traffic whizzing by, if there's not comfortable place to to walk and interact with people, that's another thing that I think we got to think about. It's not just the, like you said, the wider doorways and ramps and stuff. It's we are always going to be harping on this show about the context. And and that's why like I don't even think it's necessarily a really bad idea to have facilities that cater specifically to seniors so long as they're better integrated into the fabric of the community. Yeah, yeah. I think um green space is another thing that's important for this age population. You know, I I know my grandparents mm-hmm. and and my parents that have all gone through Um, having to be in certain environments that were different from home for a while, Mm -hmm. the number one thing they would tell me that made their day interesting and special was that they were able to look out onto green space and, Mm. and whether, you know, it was the birds and the trees or being able to see people out with their families, just having that feeling that even though you're not out there, you can still partake in it in a sense is, is also important. And when you, when I start to think about it in that way, that's what I would want to. Yeah. That's what children would want to. And and again, it just it's this whole thing that the more that we try to separate this age group from the rest of the population, I think the more we start to realize how similar we really are. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, gives me some hope that that perhaps we can recognize the similarities and use that as motivation to do things differently. Yeah. Similarly, I would hear my grandma talk about the same things, um, especially when she was moved to a place where she had one window that she would spend a lot of her time by. And physical and visual access to to greenery is restorative for all of us. It is. Um, It's just, I think it helps to think about populations who are more sensitive. When we have an environment that is kind of uncomfortable to walk around, well, if you crank up the discomfort, you're Somewhere you'll cross into danger or just a level of discomfort, like we said, which will just dissuade you from even doing stuff. And we don't want yeah. we don't want that. Like, I, I don't think any planner or designer really wants that kind of world, but we've worked our way into it. Yeah, we've kind of fallen into a rut in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunate. You know, I think when we're talking about, you know, how things could be, mm-hmm. we also have to be very very intentional in saying this would require this, this type of new approach would require local governments to really start thinking outside of the box in the way that they view residential living. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there have already been so many movements just basically calling upon and then demanding Mm -hmm. that, you know, our area, our planning environment as a profession, take note of, Number one, you know, we, we struggled with this idea of single family everywhere. And, and yep. what were the unintended consequences of that? Well, I think 
as we start to see some momentum build there and as people are starting to in their communities kind of stick their necks out and advocate for that kind of policy, you know, the next thing is this, I think, um, and they kind of go hand in hand. I know there are a lot of things in every single city code that are very focused on counting the, you know, number of unrelated people in a household or how many bedrooms are in the household or, Mm. you know, how many tenants would be in a household. And, you know, we we spend a lot of time talking about those things in, in cities and it makes what we're talking about so difficult, if not impossible. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, it would be a good first step to start to redefine what types of of housing are allowed for in communities. Because until we do that, most of what we're talking about is conjecture, and it just simply doesn't have a mechanism to bring it into place. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, one place where I'm afraid of the discussion on older adults is going (laughs) is I'm afraid that like, I'm I'm sure it's already going to happen. Like driverless cars are going to be like this new solution to like, can't have a driver's license. It's okay. Autonomous cars. May I suggest you put the car in the auto cruise mode for safety's sake? No, you may not. Then it's going to allow us to fool ourselves and keep building places that are still, you know, the geometry of our places is still going to be hostile Yeah. to getting around for children, for older people, for people who don't have cars. I have that same fear. I agree with you totally. And You know, what's interesting is the places around the world that are now very historic communities that were built in a time when walking or being on horseback maybe were, you Mm -hmm. know, some of the main ways of accessing places. (laughs) They didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. foresee the car, right? But they continue doing things that way. And you know what? Those places now that we have just the car, and not even moving forward to the autonomous vehicles, but mm-hmm. just the vehicles that that we saw mid-century till now, those places still work. And there's a reason that they work. So I mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think as we're trying to use technology to kind of pardon our bad choices, we have to realize that there are certain places in our world that will always work. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. And that's the spirit we need to bring to planning our communities. Yes. Okay, so here we are at the end of another episode where we barely scratched the surface of a very big subject. I think that's every episode. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But we're going to put a stamp on it and say solved. So at the end, we like to always kind of leave y'all with some homework. Two pieces. One is you can go to our show notes and find a lovely list of resources for you to spend a whole Thanksgiving weekend, which we will have passed by the time this episode comes out, reading and digesting. The second, AJ, is we always like to leave a little assignment when you're out and about. And this time around, why don't you tell us what the assignment is, AJ? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the ways that we start to bridge this gap between us and the senior population is to put ourselves in their shoes. So the next trip that you make, be very observant and put yourself in the shoes of of perhaps one of your grandparents and think about along the way, what are the things that might discourage them from 
maybe walking from point A to point B where you're going? Um, what are things that would make it uncomfortable for them? And I think as you start to do that, you'll start to see places in a different way. And I think that's ultimately what we need to do so that we can all be advocates for yeah. uh, for the seniors in all of our cities. Yeah. If you'd like to go on walks, slow your pace down to half the speed or, or less than that of your normal pace. See how see what it's like to cross the street. Uh, imagine you're pushing somebody in a wheelchair. Is it hard to get up a curve that doesn't have a, a curb ramp? Uh, maybe think about like if you can't lift your feet very high um, and your pace is, is shorter. All these things that I think make getting around your neighborhood feel a whole lot different. So, mm-hmm. all right. You can follow us on social media at We Built It Pod on Twitter mostly, also on Instagram. And that's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> Hope everyone is bundling up for cooler weather. And uh, why don't we send off with a check in on your older relatives and friends and let them know you care about them. That's a great place to end it. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Oh.